I want to tell you before we break into the message that there's a pastor that has been arrested. His name is Pastor James Coates. He pastors Grace Life Church in Alberta, Canada. He, I believe, went to Master's Seminary, and uh, he kept his uh, congregation open, much like we've done through the COVID stretch once you know, they had a handle on what was going on and you know, the, the real threat of the virus and who needed to be protected and who could come and et cetera. So he, he got some warnings from the government in Canada and he just felt like what they were asking of him was impossible. Just to give you an example of what this church is like, they do one Sunday morning service. Hasn't it been wonderful for us to do one Sunday morning service? I mean, it's been so precious and people are sticking around and we got to buy more donuts and it's just an amazing blessing. But anyway, um, they do one service and they say that their congregation will stay after that morning service, sometimes till three or four in the afternoon, just fellowshipping, talking about the word of God, eating a meal together. It's really, I think, what the church is supposed to be like, an Acts 2 kind of church, you know, sharing life together. And so the government was asking for like, you know, 15% of their capacity. And so they were saying, well, who do we leave out? If you want us to have 15% of our people come to our service, who do we ask not to come? And so he decided that he couldn't uh, abide by that, and he got a couple of warnings, and eventually the police asked him to turn himself in. He did that. He's in jail tonight. He's 41 years old. He has two sons, 18 and 11. His wife was recently interviewed by, I think it's Justin Peterson. Um, Elijah had sent me a copy of the video. You can search for Pastor James Coates and probably uh, get access to that interview. I'm going to talk more about this on Sunday because Sunday we're going to be in Exodus 5 where Moses will say for the first time encountering the Pharaoh, let my people go. And we're going to talk a little bit more about James Coates' story leading into the sermon on Sunday. But I'll just tell you this, please be praying for this pastor. I'll, I'll say God has exploited it for good because as a result of this, it's emboldened other churches in Canada and churches all over Canada are opening as a result of what's happened to Pastor James Coates. And so God is good and he exploits evil things for his good purposes, yet there is a good, solid young pastor in jail tonight because he wouldn't back down. And by the way, they've told him, if you sign a paper that you will no longer pastor, and I, I think that's either they're asking him that or you know, um, you gotta abide by the protocols, he can get out of jail anytime he wants if he signs the paper and he refuses to sign it. That's Pastor James Coates. He's a hero because he's trying to stand for his people. And um, please keep him in prayer. G. Campbell Morgan, regarding Psalm 103, said, Psalm 103 is perhaps the most perfect song of pure praise to be found in the Bible. Through centuries, it has been sung by glad hearts and today is as fresh and full of beauty as ever. It addressed both the spiritual and physical benefits graciously bestowed by our Heavenly Father, our incredible God. His immeasurable mercies sweep across the page, and we're going to see some language as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. This is a psalm of joyous praise in which the writer rises from a thankful acknowledgement of personal blessing to a lively celebration of God's gracious attributes. As not only intrinsically worthy of praise, but especially suited to man's frailty, he concludes by invoking all creatures to unite in song, or to put it another way, let everything that has breath 
praise the Lord. And so this is bless the Lord because we will get this idea of blessing the Lord as two bookends in the psalm. And this reminds me of Revelation chapter 5 where the 24 elders sing and then the angels begin to sing and it just kind of echoes out. And this is how the psalm opens. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And then if you look at Psalm 103, the very last uh, verse of the psalm, bless the Lord, all you works of his in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. So you can see the bookends. It's bless the Lord, O my soul, two times. It opens the psalm and it closes the psalm. This is a psalm of David. We don't have a specific backdrop for it, but we know that David was the sweet psalmist of Israel. We know he loved to praise the Lord. And some of you may be wondering about this phrase, bless the Lord. I remember some years ago, Pastor Mel Campbell was preaching from our pulpit. This was way back, I think, at our old location. And he, would, he said, I just want to bless you, Lord. I want to bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. And so a congregation member came up to me and said, what's with this us blessing the Lord? I thought the Lord blesses us. And so I pointed out a few scriptures to this gentleman in passing who knew his Bible pretty well. And uh, it was a foreign concept to him that we would bless the Lord. I thought he's supposed to bless us. How do we bless him? Well, the the word bless here is an interesting word. And uh, it is a word that we would consider to be like blessings in our lives. But there's a way that we bless the Lord. And it is a synonym for praising the Lord or celebrating the Lord. I'll give you a human example. And this is going to fall short of what this is saying, but this might help us. If someone shared a story with you and said, hey, when you prayed for me that one time, when you spoke this word into my life, when you shared this Bible verse, when you shared the gospel with me, when you gave me a word of encouragement, uh, that meant a lot to me. And you might say back to them, you know, that really blessed me that you shared that with me. When someone shares a word of encouragement, it's a blessing for us. When we praise the name of God, when we exalt his name, when we adore him, he gets blessed. Now, I don't know know in what sense he gets blessed. I could say he's pleased by it. Uh, He is blessed by it in some way. Not that we can add blessings to God. You all know what I'm saying. But in some way, that adoration of God pleases him. And so bless the Lord is something that we need to be doing. And uh, David is going to list reasons that we bless the Lord. I will tell you tonight, just to be among God's people, just to be in the gathering with God's saints is a beautiful blessing. Amen? Amen. I, I think in this last year that we've had, it's been even more precious to be able to know that we can come to a place, we can sing with other believers, we can perhaps take to the Lord's Supper or watch somebody get get baptized or listen to God's word or whatever it may be. And that is a great blessing. And so David opens the psalm with bless the Lord. That's the name Yahweh there. You notice the uh, capital L and small caps on Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. That's nefesh in Hebrew. And we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our soul. About three different meanings of the word soul, but here the idea of your soul is the seat of your will, intellect, and emotions. So from the core of who you are, you are to praise the Lord. You are to bless his holy name. That's what we're to do. 
Spurgeon says soul music is the very soul of music. The psalmist strikes the best keynote when he begins with stirring up his inmost self to magnify the Lord. We even have a genre of music called soul music, right? And when we worship from our soul, there's a depth that there is to it. There's something from the core. It's not just a surfacey, I'm going to repeat some words to an old chorus that I knew from days gone by. No, this is coming from the heart. This is coming from the soul. This is David's very life. And so he blesses the Lord. The psalm opens with a blessing coming from David alone, and he blesses God on high from the core of who he is. The word bless is barak in Hebrew, B-A-R-A-K. It means to kneel, and it has the idea of adoration or praise toward God. And it really also has the idea of the covering of the hand. If you want to bless somebody, it's the idea of covering them. Or maybe if you prayed over somebody, you could uh, lay your hands perhaps on their head. And you're invoking a blessing from God. Whenever we pray for somebody, we want them to be blessed. We're invoking God. I, I have no power in and of myself to bless you. I might you know, be able to say something positive into your life. But the only way I can bring a true blessing into your life that is a supernatural one is to invoke the God who supernaturally blesses others. So if someone comes to me for prayer, apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. I have to call upon his holy name. I have to ask the power of the Holy Spirit to work. And I ultimately know that God is sovereign. And so we often say to people, God bless you. Uh, we want people to be blessed. But the Greek equivalent to Barak, B-A-R-A-K in Hebrew is eulageo in Greek. It's where we get the idea of eulogizing someone. And when we eulogize someone, so when we do a eulogy, if you've ever had to do a eulogy at a memorial service, a eulogy is to speak well of somebody. It's to talk about all their positives, to highlight their life, their accomplishments, and that kind of thing. The Greek word for blessing in the New Testament is eulageo. It means to eulogize God, that is to speak well of him. And so when you bless God's holy name, you are speaking of his benefits in your life. Just to begin with, the only reason that you're alive is because of him. That's a pretty good place to start. Your beating heart, breath in your lungs. And by the way, being human is a privilege because we are the only creatures that I know of that are made in the image of God. You could have been a cat. You could have been a bird. You could have been a fly. Can you imagine? That would be a bummer existence. You could have been anything. An alligator, a crocodile, a snake. <laughs> but you're human. And I remember Dr. Walter Martin some years ago saying, it's a privilege to be human. And we don't think too much about that, but there's a lot of different species in the world. I suppose you could have been something else. <laughs> and I remember some years ago, I was sitting in the spa at LA Fitness, and we, me and a friend of mine would often witness to people in the jacuzzi and uh, as we were in the locker room. And so I said to this one guy, 
I said, hey, do you, do you have a relationship with the Lord? Do you believe in the Lord? No. He said, I'm, I'm an Eastern religion. And he, he said, I, I don't believe that. I, I believe in reincarnation and all this. And I said, so you believe that you've lived millions of lives and your karma is going to determine you know, what happens next? And I, he goes, yeah. And I, I think he said something like, things haven't been so good lately. And I said, well, what do you think you're going to come back as next time? And he goes, maybe a flower. Maybe I just... And I said, how do you have a good day as a flower? Do you open extra wide? You know, I, I don't know what that looks like. But anyway, we, we tried to get the gospel to him. But Mary said in her Magnificat, as she found out she would be the mother of the Messiah, my soul exalts the Lord. This is Luke 1, 46 through 50. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. For he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave, for behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is upon generation after generation to, toward those who fear him. Notice, bless the Lord, O my soul, verse 1. All that is within me, that's another way to say from my soul. Everything that I have is his. Every ounce of praise that I can muster up. Bless his holy name. God is holy. We're to bless him for his holy nature, his moral perfections, his beauty, his aboveness. Isn't it good to know? I'll give you a, a, a quick example of this. So we had some evangelists who were reaching out to Mormons in Salt Lake City. And this, this gentleman, this young man who had come out of Mormonism uh, was struck by this teaching that in, within Mormonism, it says that God, the God that, that the Mormons worship was once uh, perhaps Adam. And we know that Adam certainly sinned. And so the evangelist was going around Salt Lake City and saying, do you believe that the God that you worship, God the Father, sinned in a previous existence? Because in Mormon theology, they believe that God was once a man and became exalted to godhood status. And so here's, here, here was their approach. You'll get this in a second. They said, do you believe that the God that you worship right now sinned in a previous mortal existence? And a lot of the Mormons who knew the theology correctly said, perhaps, yes, he, he probably did sin. And then the follow-up question was, how does that affect your worship? Doesn't it bother you that you worship a God that sinned in a previous mortal pre-existence and then you know, finally uh, earned his way to Godhood? Doesn't it bother you? And the Christian evangelist was saying, when I worship, one of the main reasons I worship is because God is above me, because God is without sin, because he is holy and perfect and beautiful. That's what you know, kind of thrusts my worship. If I were to be thinking that I'm worshiping a being who just kind of figured it out and then had a bunch of spirit children and populated a planet and I happen to now worship him and perhaps I can become like him one day, do you see how that, that demotes God? Well, in biblical theology, God is above his creation. He is separate and distinct he is without sin. In fact, he cannot even look upon sin or look upon sin with favor. That's why sin 
has to be so radically dealt with because God is holy and sin separates us from a holy God. Amen? This, this is the idea of why Jesus Christ came to begin with. So when David blesses God for his holy name, I want you to get your arms around that for a second. God is holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So when we worship him, we have to understand or at least have a sense of his holiness. Bless the Lord. A repetition, oh my soul. Repetition is good because it gets it into your mind. David's not trying to just fill paper. He knows we need to be reminded. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. And forget none of his benefits. I tell you, we quickly forget. I always joke about an uncle that I work for. I grew up working in an Italian pizza parlor, and he had these little sayings, and he, I would come in, and it was my Uncle Frank, and my Uncle Frank is now uh, gone, and uh, he would say, what's the word, bird? Gotta go, Joe. And then this one I would get every time I worked. He would say, Michael, don't forget. And I would play along and I would say, forget what, Uncle? Forget what? what? And he would say, see, you forgot. <laughs> and we, so we played this little game. And I'll tell you, it is easy for me to forget even the things that God has done for me. Amen? I mean, we, we sometimes just, we can forget what God did for us a year ago. Have you ever had this happen to you? Have you ever prayed about something, realized that that prayer got answered maybe a couple years later and forgot maybe even that you prayed about it? But God is so faithful that he cataloged that prayer from years ago and he answers it in his time. I had a precious uh, lady come up to me at the end of one of the services here, and she said, do you remember praying for so-and-so about this? And it was you know, vaguely on my mind, but I pray for a lot of people, interact with a lot of people, and she said, the Lord has answered that prayer. And it was something that had just come to realization at that moment. It's like things I forgot I even prayed about. And so we are to forget none of his benefits, especially the fact that he has saved us. He, we're going through now the reasons why we bless our Heavenly Father. He pardons all your iniquities. Aren't you glad? <laughs> he heals all your diseases. Now, David begins the list, the benefits, or the blessings, you could say. Don't forget his benefits, synonym with blessings. Spurgeon says he selects a few of the choicest pearls from the casket of divine love, threads them on the string of memory, and hangs them about the neck of gratitude. Pardoned sin is, in our experience, one of the choicest boons of grace, one of the earliest gifts of mercy. In fact, the needful preparation for enjoying all that follows is the reality that he pardons not some but all of our iniquities. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sin, O Lord, who could stand? Do you know that the Lord has forgotten? He has chosen to forget all of your sins in Christ. Do you know 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that God in Christ is no longer counting your sins against you? That's really cool, isn't it? That's really powerful because some of us carry the baggage of 
sins from our past. And sometimes we can't even walk in that forgiven state. We can't give ourselves a break. But God forgives all of our iniquities because we're in Jesus Christ. It's all been paid in full. You, if you are in Christ tonight, you are a forgiven person. It's paid for in full. Praise the Lord. And, there, and there's some things, you know, from my past, things that I failed to do, things that I did, that I have regrets. And they still hurt my heart, but I know that Christ took the punishment for that. Sickness in soul and body is a result of sin and the fall. His hand of mercy pardons and heals. This is Matthew 8, 14 through 17. When Jesus had come to Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in a bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. She arose and waited on Jesus. When evening had come, they brought to Jesus many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill, in order that what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, he himself, Messiah, took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. That's Matthew 8, 14 through 17. Don't forget all that he has done for you already. And all that is ahead of you, one day there will be no more disease, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more tears, no more death. And it is true that God has the ability to heal all of our diseases. And I don't know how many times God has healed me of something I didn't even know about. I mean, we're all, all of us who are in the room or watching via live stream tonight, we're here. So God has been gracious to us. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have a thorn in your flesh tonight because most of us, if you've lived long enough, have at least one thorn in the flesh, if not multiple thorns in the flesh. Can I get a witness? <laughs> right? And at some point, thanks, thanks for the amen there, Brother Bert. At some point, all of that's going to be dealt with. The Lord does heal, eventually will heal all of our diseases. However, this is from the New King James Study Bible. There are godly people who suffer illness despite repeated prayers for healing. Even though God is not bound to heal every disease, I'm quoting, every healing does come from him. And as I mentioned, Revelation 21.4, one day all of our diseases, including death, will be behind us. God is sovereign over healing, but I still think that we in the evangelical church need to pray for people's healing we need to go to the great physician and cry out to God, and then we leave it at God's feet. And there are miracle stories of healing, and there are probably things that we've been healed of that we didn't realize. And sometimes when you're in the midst of a thorn that won't go away, it feels like it will never end. This may be for you know, some of you tonight. Maybe you're in the midst of having a thorn that just simply won't go away, and you've prayed about it. And, and God even works in the area of thorns and shows his grace through our weakness. And he's even sovereign over that. And so while I don't understand all of that, I know that ultimately every healing comes from the Lord. He redeems, talking about now, the reasons that we bless the Lord, cataloging the benefits, who redeems your life from the pit, 
who, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. Literally, he redeems your life from the pit of destruction. He's our redeemer. He's our forgiver. He's our healer. And redemption always has a price. He redeems our life from the pit. We're in a prayer meeting before tonight, and somebody mentioned the story of Joseph in prayer. And Joseph was literally in a pit. He had been abandoned by his brothers and sold into slavery, and he ends up in Egypt all by God's plan, right? God, later, the Bible will say that God sent Joseph to Egypt to save, essentially to save Israel. But Joseph ended up in a pit, sold into slavery. Then he was in a, a dungeon or a prison. And then ultimately, he was redeemed, if I can use that word for Joseph's situation. Brought out of the pit, put into the palace. But he suffered for years with the thorn. Everybody with me? The thorn of being abandoned, the thorn of wondering what happened, was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. I'm sure he had nights where he was thinking, why me? What's happening? Where are you, God? Yet Joseph remained faithful, and he went from the pit to the palace. And Joseph ended up saving his people in a famine. This is all cataloged in the book of Genesis and celebrated in some of the Psalms that we read about. And for each one of us, we have been saved from the pit of destruction, that is, from our own sin. We would have ended up under the judgment of Almighty God. But our Redeemer lives, our Redeemer came. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, Galatians 3.13, having become a curse for us. It is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree in order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Galatians 3, 13 and 14. And then Galatians 4, 4 through 7 says, When the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then you are an heir through God. Amen? Galatians 4, 4 through 7. And then Peter says, Know that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but you were redeemed with what? The precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Jesus Christ. He's your Redeemer. God the Father sent the Redeemer to save you out of the pit of destruction. Not only does he redeem, but verse 5 says, he satisfies your years. If you have a New King James, it says he satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed. I've got that marked in my Bible. Yeah, youth is renewed. Like the eagle, oh yeah. Now, he satisfies Paul says in Philippians 4, I have learned the secret of contentment. I know how to abound and I know how to be abased. I've learned that in every, in every circumstance, I can get along with a little or with plenty. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Amen. Write down Philippians 4, 10 through 13. He satisfies. There's an old chorus that goes, think about his love, think about his goodness. 
Think about his grace that's pulled us through. For as high as the heavens above, so great is the measure of our Father's love. And then there's a portion of that song where it says, he satisfies. You know how many people are trying to find the next thing for their satisfaction? If I just get this, I'll be satisfied. If I just eat this candy bar, satisfied. Right? Just, that was a commercial. Just drive this car. Just buy this house. Just get this relationship. Then I'll be satisfied. And they even sang about it in the 70s. I can't get no satisfied. And I try, and I try, and I try. Yeah. Sorry. You, was that, I think I heard. Well, he tried. He tried. He tried to sing. <laughs> he satisfies. That's one of his benefits. Are you content tonight? Have you learned the secret of contentment? How many people do you know that could tell you tonight the secret of contentment? The books fly off the shelf when someone hints at it. Oh, this is how you find true peace and contentment in life is this? You know what contentment is? Christ. He satisfies. That's why we praise. When we come into a a church setting, when we gather with the people of God, when someone in the small group grabs a guitar and begins to sing, this is what we do. We begin to bless the Lord, our creator, our forgiver, our redeemer. We begin to go down the list our sustainer, the one who satisfies. It's not hard to start thinking about the the number of lists that you could make your whole life in Christ. Even it says your youth is renewed because it says if any man, any woman be in Christ, you are what? You are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And God says in Revelation, behold, I make all things new. Do you know being born again, having the down payment of the Holy Spirit anticipates new heavens and a new earth and a new body and a new creation and no more curse. You're new, anticipating everything else is gonna be new. How many people do you know walking around Corona who have that promise tonight? I'm new and everything's gonna be new at some point in the future based upon God's faithful word because he who promised is faithful. You can take it to the bank. This is why I sing. Those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will not walk and not become weary. One day, everyone that you know, grandma, grandpa, great grandma, grandpa, you know, maybe you laid them to rest at a cemetery. Maybe there was a picture when they were younger. You're like, did grandma really look that good? Wow, she's pretty. She was a looker. Sometimes, you know, Little, little grandchildren say, was that? They see a picture of when, you know, you were younger, if you were older. <laughs> and they say, was that you, Grandpa? Yeah, that was me, whippersnapper. Who do you think that was? Well, it doesn't really look like you, but kind of an old faded picture. That was me. And one day, you're going to be old, boy. <laughs> you know, when you're young, you can't believe it. You're like, no way. What are you talking about, old man? right? 
We were a little snarky when we were younger. I think we got it going on. It's not going to happen to me. I got news for you. Everybody that's old was young. <laughs> what? What? Yeah. It's kind of like a universal principle. I know it's hard to fathom. But youth is going to be renewed. So sometimes I've been doing, I'll do a memorial service and I'll say, hey, you see this picture? Now this is taken when they were younger and this is when they were older. And see this picture here? The, their youth is going to be renewed in the resurrection. Can you imagine how many people we're going to see in what's ahead and go, wow, you look good. <laughs> yeah. The Lord performs righteous deeds, verse 6, and judgments for all who are oppressed. These are all his benefits. And when we bless the Lord, it's not just about my life. David's going to whiten it out. Yeah, it's bless the Lord, O oh my soul, all the benefits. He's touched me. He's renewed me. He's redeemed me. He forgives me. He sustains me. He satisfies. But he's also good to other people. Check this out. For all who are oppressed, he does righteous deeds and judgments. And sometimes he uses us to do that. And so we could sing, bless the Lord for looking upon that widow who's hurting and lonely. Bless the Lord for ministering to that orphan or using that ministry to pull, uh, you know, little girls and boys out of the sex trafficking trade. Praise the Lord. And see, this is part of how, why we worship. It's not just about my little world here. Thank you, Lord, for what you did for that family over there. Thank you, Lord, for how you're ministering to this situation over here. And even if I haven't got my answer to prayer yet, I'm going to praise because of what you did in their life. Because I'm going to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Somebody once said, it's easier to cry with those who cry than rejoice with those who rejoice. Because sometimes they're like, yeah, you know, they, they got that, but I don't know. <laughs> But that's part of our praise because God has a heart for the orphan and the widow. He made known his ways. Now we're going into some of the history of the nation of Israel. He made known his ways to Moses. We're right there as we study Exodus on Sunday morning. His acts are as exploits to the sons of Israel. This is what he did for David personally. This is what he did in the history of the nation. In fact, up on the mountain on Sinai, uh, Exodus 34, verse 6 says, The Lord passed in front of Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. And that is verse 8 of Psalm 103. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. Aren't you glad? He is slow to anger, and he abounds in loving kindness. He's compassionate and gracious. It's a good thing he's slow to anger because if he wasn't, I would have been in trouble so many times. You know, when I think about what it takes to exhaust my patience, it's not a lot. <laughs> I could be I could be in a line at a store and I'll lose patience pretty quickly. Have you ever been in that 15 item or less line and you start counting the items in that guy. And then if somebody does it to you, you're like, what's your problem? You some legalist? Pharisee! Okay, I have 16 items, all right? Get over it! <laughs> but 
I'm a legalist if somebody else is in front of me with 17 items. But the Lord is slow to anger. He will not strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. Psalm 30, verse 5 says, His anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Spurgeon, God bears no grudges. The Lord would not have his people harbor resentments. And in his own course of action, he sets them a grand example. Please apply this to you and me. When the Lord has chastened his child, he has done with his, he is done with his anger. He is not punishing as a judge, else might his wrath burn on. But he's acting as a father. And therefore, after a few blows, he ends the matter and presses his beloved one to his bosom as if nothing had happened. Or if the offense lies too deep in the offender's nature to be thus overcome, he continues to correct, but he never ceases to love, and he does not suffer his anger with his people to pass into the next world, but receives his erring child into glory, close quote. How far my anger can be from that. How far my discipline can be from my father's heart's. How easy it is to bring up past resentments and chew on them. There's a, there's a story about an ancient tribe somewhere in the bush, and they hang uh, from the ceiling of their hut little remembrances to remind them of past grievances with people. And when they walk by it, it hits them in the head, and they're like, oh, yeah, that's right. And it's a picture of what we do because we don't let it go. So it keeps popping us in the head. And Oh, yeah, that's right. Sometimes uh, somebody once said that anger and seething hatred is like a feast for a king. You eat the next morsel, smack your lip. Think of a way you could pay that person back. The only problem, says this writer, is that the skeleton at the feast is you. And you chew away at your own heart. You see, God has not dealt with us according to our sins, and God help us not to deal with one another according to our shortcomings. Nor has God rewarded us ten according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. And then this beautiful verse, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. I don't know how far east is from the west, but if you could span the galaxy and spread it apart, that's how far God has removed your sin from his remembrance and from the penalty. He's cast it into the sea of forgetfulness. And as Corey Tim Boom put it, posted a no fishing sign there. He's chosen to forget it. He's chosen to cast it away. So beautiful. Gone is our transgressions because of Christ. Removed as far as the east is from the west. Sometimes we say, I've buried the hatchet but we leave the handle sticking out of the ground just in case we need it again. Sort of buried it. 
but that's not God. It says, just as a father, here's a metaphor, and this is a psalm about our loving father. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Just as a father, think about a good father, would look at his child and have compassion. That's how our heavenly father thinks of us. He has compassion for you. Some of you have the wrong view of God. You think God is just waiting for you to make the next mistake so he can hit you over the head and say, hey, dummy, what were you thinking? Yeah, I knew you were dumb. <laughs> Some of you have categorized yourself that way, and that's your view of God. That's not God. That's not the God of the Old Testament or of the New Testament. He has compassion as a father does for his children. You see, what he knows is that he knows our frame, 14. He is mindful that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more, and it, its place acknowledges it no longer. Every empty chair at a dinner table, every loss, every time a human fails. I was just on my computer earlier, just, you know, another thing pops up. 29-year-old actor from some show, I didn't even hear about it or know about it, dead. So-and-so from this series, dead. Man is like grass. He's like the flower of the field. Here today, gone tomorrow. And God looks at us, here's what the Bible's saying, and he knows that we are made of dust. And even when we're proud, he knows the essential stuff he made us from. He breathed into Adam the breath of life, but Adam was formed out of what? The dust. And so sometimes when we get a little bit prideful, we need to remember our frame. <laughs> we are dust. What's the, what was the band that sang, all we are is dust in the wind? I can't go that high, nor will I even try. <laughs> and that's why God has compassion for us. He knows our weaknesses, and I think for one another, we have to have this, that same kind of mercy. But the loving kindness, that is the hesed, the loyal covenant love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. Look, our human lives, at least you know, this, in this temporal existence, are temporary. But the love of the Lord is everlasting. It will go on and on. Love, 1 Corinthians 13, 8 says, love never fails. A way to render that verse is love never ceases. Some gifts will end, whether it's knowledge or tongues. They will cease. Gifts, these are spiritual gifts now, not that knowledge will cease. But those words of wisdom, words of knowledge will cease. But love will never end. You know why? Because God will never end. And God is love. And so when you're celebrating reasons to bless the Lord, here it is. His loving kindness, his covenant, loyal covenant love is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children, every generation that loves the Lord, to those who keep his covenant, who remember his precepts to do them. 
And then as we wind down, the last portion of the psalm stretches out from David individually to the nation to now the whole creation, if you will. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, 19, and his sovereignty, that is, he's the ultimate ruler, rules over all. Bless the Lord. And David now calls out to the angels. Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength. Do you know that there's evidence from New Testament passages that when we worship, angels join us in worship? I don't know how that works, but they apparently look on and in some, some way are involved in our worship. Does that change your attitude a little bit when you're worshiping? Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, the armies of the Lord, if you will, you who serve him, doing his will. Notice each action the one described carries out God's will, does his will. And then the final bookend. Bless the Lord, all, your, all you works of his and all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's say it all together. Bless the Lord, O my soul. David praises our God and King who is over all closes the psalm the same way he opened it. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Now, I want you, uh, Shane's gonna do a final song, but I want you to turn all the way to Ephesians 1. Ephesians chapter one. Let me just read a few verses just to uh, give you a word of encouragement from the New Testament about who we are in Christ. And this is a New Testament blessing that kind of fits with this psalm. Ephesians one, look at verse three. It says, blessed, Ephesians 1, 3, be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Ephesians 1, 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us and the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Father, thank you for the blessing of who you are each time we worship in music, each time we shout out a hallelujah or a praise the Lord or a bless the Lord, and maybe that's something we can add to our praise vocabulary, what we are saying is we, we, we have a sense of who you are, Lord. You are holy. Creator, sustainer, forgiver, redeemer, you satisfy. The God of faithful covenant love. The God who doesn't give up on us. The God who casts our sins away as far as the east is from the west. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. The God who is faithful to his covenant. The God who says love will last. My love will last forever. Love will never fail. 
Father, we fail. Sometimes we disappoint ourselves and others, but your love will never cease. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Thank you, Father. I, I pray that in these moments, we would just let the uh, Selah moment sink into our souls. Think about what we've heard and what you've shown us tonight. Pray that it would be encouragement for our worship life going forward. And as we sing this last song, maybe we'll sing it with some of these uh, truths in mind. In Jesus' name, amen.